0: well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you joined us on the program today. Uh, Apologies for a lack of show on Monday. We had uh, just enough snow in Central Virginia that uh, my driveway was a solid sheet of ice on uh, Monday morning, so I could not. Literally could not get up the driveway, but uh, able to make it to the studio today. Glad to be with you. Uh, Not, by the way, that is not a a current photo behind me of the uh, the driveway. It is snowy. It is icy. But uh, I'm glad to be here. Glad that you've joined me. We've got a lot to talk about today, uh, including record-setting gun sales once again for the month of January. Uh, Across the nation, more than 2 million background checks performed on gun transfers, according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Now, the Raw Knicks totals over 4 million background checks performed. Uh, But the NSSF, they look at the codes for those background checks, and they're able to toss out, okay, so like some states like Kentucky, uh, they do checks on a weekly basis of every concealed carry holder, uh, so they can disregard those checks. Uh, Illinois does the same thing. They can disregard those checks, and they look specifically for those codes uh, indicating a transfer of at least one firearm. And there were more than 2 million of those transfers around the nation in January of 2021. That is an all-time record. It's about 75% higher Than the uh, number of background checks for gun transfers in January of 2020. So the great gun run of 2020, which really kicked off in March of last year, definitely has continued into 2021. No signs of a slowdown um, at any point in the near future. That is, uh, you know, it's in a way it's 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 frustrating, obviously, for us as gun owners who are trying to, you know, find ammunition that's affordable and available Uh, because that is definitely in short supply. And that, unfortunately, is probably not going to be changing uh, in the near or short-term future. I I do believe that over the course of 2021, we will see uh, supplies gradually get better, but it's going to be a gradual improvement. It's not like flipping a switch and all of a sudden, boom, ammo is back to normal. That's not going to happen. And as we continue to see new gun owners uh come into the fold here remember nssf estimates about 40% of the 21 million firearms that were sold in uh, 2020 went to first time gun buyers if that holds true then again we're going to be looking at millions more new gun owners who are also going to want to buy ammunition they don't have their stock already in hand uh and that is going to keep supplies very limited for the near future but the demand is still staggeringly high. More and more Americans want to embrace their right to keep and bear arms, even if they live in a state, by the way, where they're precluded from doing so easily. Uh, Illinois, I just mentioned, they've got a backlog of firearm owner ID card applications that lasts about six months right now. And and you have to have a FOID card in order to legally own a gun in in the state of Illinois. So if you apply for your FOID card today, you may get permission to exercise your Second Amendment rights sometime in June. I don't know about you, I think that's an infringement on the right to keep and bear arms. When the state of Illinois or a county sheriff in North Carolina or the uh, uh, police department of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, cannot process these applications in a timely manner, I think that rights are being infringed. And uh, we've seen, again, multiple lawsuits around the country challenging some of these delays. So far, uh, none of them have uh, really come to fruition. I guess in Philadelphia, the uh, the Philly PD said, "Okay, fine, we'll start processing the applications again. So that was one victory. But there are still a lot of other court fights still to come. In the meantime, gun control advocates are doing their best to uh, push forward with their anti-gun agenda, both at the federal and state level. In the state of Iowa, Uh, there's going to be a ballot initiative to change the Constitution. This is going to go on the ballot in 2022. And it would um, put in place in the state constitution a a very specific guarantee that the right to keep and bear arms is an individual right and that laws uh, dealing with the right to keep and bear arms should be viewed under the judicial lens of strict scrutiny. That's the highest level of judicial review. Gun control activists don't like this. They're very afraid that some of their favorite gun control laws would be struck down as unconstitutional if we treat the Second Amendment like we treat the First Amendment. Yeah, because the Supreme Court uses strict scrutiny when addressing uh, challenges to our freedom of speech. Gun control advocates are actually arguing that the Second Amendment should be treated as a second-class right. Now, sometimes it's not quite as explicit as that. But I wanted you to take a look at this piece. This was uh, in uh, one of the Iowa papers today. Let's find a way to talk about guns that crosses our divisions of entitlement and common good. This is from the Iowa City Press Citizen. Uh, Jane Yoder Short, uh, who lives in Kelowna, Iowa, uh, writing about this. And, and, you know, look from the headline. It kind of looks like Jane wants to actually have a serious conversation, right? Let's talk about this. Let's have a discussion about this. Nah, as it turns out, Jane really would like to lecture. Yeah, I know. Uh, The Second Amendment, she writes, may not be as noble as we like to think. Are we ready to recognize that it was included, at least in part, to satisfy southern states where plantation owners wanted protection from slave revolts this doesn't sound as noble as protecting oneself from tyranny. Do we care that this Sacred Amendment is stained by the blood of slaves? Well, let's 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 talk about that, Jane, because I see things a little bit differently. The Second Amendment did not establish or create a right. It codified a pre-existing right of the people. Go back to the ratification of the Constitution. There were two sides. America was not in, in lockstep agreement that the Constitution was needed. So you had a number of um, Americans during the ratification process who said, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, this, this Constitution, as it's written right now, this is very open-ended. I mean, you could read this as assuming the federal government has the power to do anything and everything that it wants in in any circumstance whatsoever. I can't support it like this. We need a Bill of Rights. We need specific guarantees that our pre-existing rights are not going to be infringed upon or trampled on by the federal government. Go and read the preamble of the Bill of Rights. It explains why we have that document in the first place. So, it wasn't to establish the right to keep and bear arms. That right existed. As for the idea that, uh, well, this was needed uh, because of slave revolts in the South, it may very well have been that uh, you know, there were Southerners who said, you know, we've got to be worried about uh, slave revolts. Or uh, remember, keep in mind, there wasn't, weren't, weren't police at the time. So, the militias uh, in both the Southern and the Northern states. Uh, served a variety of purposes. But the demand for the right to keep and bear arms didn't just come from the South, as as Jane would uh, like us to believe. In fact, one of the strongest calls for a uh, Second Amendment provision, or at least a provision protecting the right to keep and bear arms, came from the state of New Hampshire, where slavery was not really a thing, certainly was not common uh, in 1791, and the northern states already moving towards abolition. Uh, Pennsylvania State Constitution, Uh, Both the original state constitution of 1776 and then the revised constitution, I believe it was 1790, talked about specifically protecting the right of the people to keep and bear arms in defense of themselves and the state. And by the way, that constitution, especially the 1776 constitution, which was put together by sort of the radical wing of Pennsylvania politicians, uh, was also very opposed to slavery. So I dispute and reject the idea that the reason why we have the right to keep and bear arms was to keep slaves down. That's why we have gun control, Jane. It was gun control laws that prevented some Americans from exercising the right to keep and bear arms. It's not that the Second Amendment is racist. It's attempts to deny black Americans their right to keep and bear arms. That was racist. Now, let's go back to uh, Jane's column here. More and more, she says, we assume we need guns. As Iowa lawmakers got back to work, a three-member House panel proposed a gun rights amendment be added to the Iowa Constitution. This amendment states the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The sovereign state of Iowa affirms and recognizes this right to be a fundamental individual right. Any and all restrictions of this right shall be subject to strict scrutiny. Jane wonders, actually, she doesn't even wonder, she just posits this amendment, she says, could end up dismantling Iowa's existing background checks, concealed carry regulations, and permits to purchase. Is that what is best for Iowa? Well, why wouldn't it be? First of all, by the way, I have no idea uh, how a state court in Iowa would, would rule on uh, the issue of background checks uh, under strict scrutiny. Because strict scrutiny doesn't toss out every gun law on the books. Basically, strict scrutiny says that, that laws have to be narrowly tailored in order for a law to be constitutional, um, under strict scrutiny, that law has to be narrowly tailored uh, in, in, the, in the most unobtrusive way possible uh, to affect uh, its stated goal. Now, governments obviously have a legitimate uh, goal of public safety, right? But under strict scrutiny, you couldn't simply just, you know, pass any gun control law you want and say, well, look, I did it in the name of public safety. Therefore, it's got to be upheld. Courts would then say, okay, is this the least invasive way for you to try to keep criminals, for example, from uh, getting a hold of a gun? Is the instant background check process the, the, uh, the least intrusive way to do so? Now, again, I don't know what a court would rule, but I have no problem whatsoever putting the Second Amendment on the same plane as we put our First Amendment protections. In fact, that's where they should be. We don't have second-class rights. It's not like the Bill of Rights was tiered. Here are the three most important rights. Here are some uh, not-so-important rights. And then uh, these are just four that we we just kind of threw in for good measure. That's not how it works. Uh, Let's go back to uh, Jane's comments here. Do we really think that all gun laws are useless infringements? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you give me a week, I might be able to come up with one that I don't think is. But do we want those convicted of domestic abuse to have guns? We want our teenagers who are depressed to have guns. How do we justify anyone needing a semi automatic assault weapon or an assault rifle? Well, let's talk about those things. When it comes to domestic abusers and firearms, um, we know that under the Heller decision, uh, Antonin Scalia said that uh, certain long standing uh, prohibitions on, for, those, uh, for instance, those mentally ill, those adjudicated of uh, serious crimes, can lose their right to keep and bear arms. We've also heard uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Brett Kavanaugh talk about how the standard for the deprivation of rights should be one of dangerousness, not simply a felony conviction. So if you're convicted of you know, felony Medicaid fraud for, uh, let's say, a uh, fraudulent shoe insert, um, should you lose your right to keep and bear arms? Justice Amy Coney Barrett argued uh, in a case that came before when she was uh, an appellate court judge that no. Just just because you have a felony conviction, if it's for a nonviolent offense, that doesn't automatically make you dangerous. Now, what would Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh or the Supreme Court say about a domestic violence misdemeanor conviction? Is that a, a sign of dangerousness, particularly if the domestic violence conviction did not actually involve an act of violence, but involved a, a threat or things of that nature? Again, I don't know what the courts would rule on that. Um... But there's no reason why laws like that should not be held to the same strict scrutiny that our First Amendment rights uh, are held to. We want teenagers who are depressed to have guns. Well, of course we don't. But what type of gun law are you suggesting we put in place that would prevent teenagers who are depressed from illegally acquiring a firearm? Right now you've got to be 18 to legally own a firearm in the United States. You have to be 21 to legally buy a handgun at retail in the United States. As a father of a couple of teenagers myself uh, and five kids all told, uh, you know, three of them have moved on past their teenage years, I can tell you it is entirely possible to be a lawful, law-abiding gun owner who cares very much about their Second Amendment rights and cares very much about their kids and wants to ensure their safety and their well-being but does not support, let's say, mandatory firearm storage laws that would criminalize um, a parent letting their child have access to a firearm for the purposes of self-defense. We've seen those cases too. There was actually an armed citizen story that I uh, talked about just a couple of weeks ago, maybe not even two weeks ago, down in Louisiana, where a teenager was forced to shoot and kill his mom's ex-boyfriend who was attacking his mom. Now, this young man was not yet 18 years of age, but he was able to gain access to a firearm in his mom's home and use that firearm in defense of his mother. Should mom be facing criminal charges because of that? Or should the kid be praised for being able to come to his mom's defense? Now, this kid also probably going to need some some therapy, I imagine. Taking a human life is not an easy thing to do, even when you're doing it in self-defense or defense of another. But I just don't see a one-size-fits-all policy, no matter how well-intended it might be, as uh, being the solution here. And Jane's last question about, uh, well, uh, how do we justify anyone needing semi-automatic assault weapons or an assault rifle? Well, the, the good news is that you don't have to justify the need for that, Jane, because it's not a bill of needs. It's a bill of rights. And modern sporting rifles are the most commonly sold centerfire rifles in the country today. So we're not talking about something that is strange or unusual. We're talking about 20 million. Well, at this point, probably closer to 21 or 22 million modern sporting rifles in private hands. And these are firearms that are not used in a lot of crime. They are uh, less frequently used in homicides than fists or feet most years according to the FBI. So rather than me trying to justify my need to own one, I'd I'd like to turn that back on Jane. What do you think gives you the right to determine how me or my wife or any other American chooses to protect themselves? What makes you think that you are justified in trying to ban some of the most commonly owned firearms in America today? Jane says, we have different ideas of what keeps us safe. The dance we haven't learned very well is how to balance individual rights with the broader concerns for the well-being of our communities. Does this proposed amendment make Iowa a safer place? I think it will make Iowa a safer place. I think it will also certainly uh, ensure that our individual rights are respected. And by the way, I reject this idea that there's a a balance here between uh, individual rights and the uh, broader concern of well-being for our communities. And I think Jane, honestly, I think Jane probably disputes that too. It's what right we're talking about. Jane doesn't like the Second Amendment, so it's okay to infringe on that. But if I were to make the argument of, hey, you know what, this Fourth Amendment, this Fourth Amendment right that we have to be secure in our persons and property without unwarranted searches and seizures— you know, that, that, that's just enabling criminals. We really need to rein in these Fourth Amendment activists. We need to provide some sort of common sense uh, privacy laws that allow for law enforcement, if they are concerned that somebody might have illegal guns on them, to pat them down. Even if they can't articulate a reasonable suspicion, you know, look, it's for the children. Do you think Jane would be okay with that? Do you think Jane would be all right with the Fourth Amendment? being turned into a second-class right, and residents of high-crime neighborhoods being subjected to unreasonable searches and seizures because, you know, in the name of public safety, it's just a dance. So we got to infringe on your individual rights just a little bit in order to keep all of you safe. How do you think should find uh, that attack on our individual rights? I have a feeling she'd have a problem with it. She concludes her piece. She says, uh, where will our fears and our obsessions with the Second Amendment rights lead? Will this proposed amendment decide for our children and grandchildren that guns will be limitless? Will they be allowed to own and operate weaponized drones or armed robots? Well, God, I hope so. I hope so. If, if, if uh, armed robots are a thing, if weaponized drones are a thing, then um, yeah, I think individual citizens should be able to own them. I, 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 I can't believe that's really all that controversial. But apparently it is in Jane's world. Jane says, let's show others that Iowans can talk to their neighbors across divisions. Let's prove that we can disentangle gun entitlement and common good by working together. Let's keep finding ways to make everyone safer. Well, first of all, you're not talking with people across divisions. You really are talking to them, Jane. You haven't once, during this entire column that you wrote, try to look at things from another perspective and from another point of view not even from the point of view of a gun nut like me but just the point of view of maybe these gun control laws aren't effective even if you even if jane even if you don't give a damn about the constitution you should at least care about the effectiveness of these laws right and so jane do you really want ineffective and obtrusive laws to remain on the books, though they might preclude people from exercising not only their Second Amendment rights, but might challenge their Fourth Amendment rights as well, might make people less secure and safe in their persons and property? I don't. You know, the fact of the matter is that Iowa's actually a pretty safe place, and the gun laws in Iowa are pretty good. I see no reason why that will change. We also know that states like California that have really restrictive gun control laws, saw their violent crime rates go up in 2020. New York City, some of the most restrictive gun laws in the country, saw its homicide rate increase dramatically last year. number of shootings nearly doubled, almost a 30-year high in New York City. So maybe these gun control laws, Jane, you know, the ones that try to criminalize the right to keep and bear arms, the ones that uh, actually are aimed at legal, lawful gun ownership as opposed to violent criminals, maybe these gun control laws aren't the best way to go about uh, making your community a safer place. Maybe, just maybe, Jane, the answer is to empower citizens to protect themselves as the Constitution protects their right to keep and bear arms, while law enforcement and public officials focus their attention and their efforts on stopping the most prolific and violent offenders. If we were to do that, we wouldn't need a single new gun control law in the books. And I guarantee that you would see violent crime drop in Iowa, California, New York, Chicago, and anywhere else that put those strategies in place. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. Our recidivist report. We will start there with a uh, case out of Pueblo, Colorado, a uh, suspect in custody after shots were fired. This was uh, last Friday around noon. Police identified the suspect as 40-year-old James Justice, who apparently currently out on bond for assault on a peace officer. Yeah, when he was arrested for uh, firing those shots. Happened around uh, 12.15 Friday afternoon. Police say uh, the first shots were fired after officers responded to a call near a Motel 6 for reported menacing. But the uh, suspect then ran away to a uh, local mobile home park. They were able to take him into custody uh, after exchanging gunfire with officers, uh, including uh, justice being shot in the thigh by a Pueblo police officer. Uh, Police confirmed to KRDO that uh, justice had last report in stable condition. According to court records, he has a lengthy criminal history, including several arrests for violent crimes. He was free on bail, awaiting trial on attempted murder, connected to an incident last May. Yeah, bail, despite a previous criminal history that features several violent crimes. There you go. Well, now he's back in custody after shooting police officers. I can only imagine he'll, uh, you know, get another slap on the wrist and be sent on his way before long. I hope that's not the case, but uh, that seems to be the current state of our criminal justice system these days. You know, we need, you know, we really need more gun control laws. Well, if we only had a background, oh, I'm sorry, Colorado has universal background checks. Well, if we only had a magazine, they got a ban on magazines, too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the answer isn't more gun control laws. Maybe the answer is ensuring that people like Mr. Justice actually face justice for their violent crimes the first time around and not second, third, fourth, or fifth time being the charm. Uh, Our Armed Citizen story today from Seattle, Washington, where a a survivor of an assault shot and injured an attacker. This was Sunday morning, about 9 a.m. Officers were called to the 3800 block of Stoneway North for a report of a shooting. When they got there, they found a man who said that he had shot someone who had attacked him. According to a K.I.R.O., law enforcement said the survivor was walking down the street when he was approached by a man who had crossed the street and then just began punching him in the head and chest. The uh, survivor pulled out a uh, concealed firearm, shot his assailant. They found the suspect a few blocks away. Uh, police took him to Harborview Medical Center. He was treated for non-life-threatening injuries. He's going to be booked into the King County Jail once he's released. Uh, the uh, victim in this case not facing any charges. A, a concealed carry holder who was able to protect themselves, uh, you know, during this random encounter. Probably left the house Sunday morning, not anticipating that they were going to need to be able to use their firearm, but all of a sudden. When they uh, were attacked, very, very glad that they had their firearm with them. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from uh, Connecticut, where a New Milford police officer uh, helped save a family and dogs from a fire in Newtown, Connecticut. This uh, officer actually on his way to his own swearing-in ceremony in New Milford, Connecticut, when he helped to rescue three people and four dogs. Uh, Police say Eric Wilcoxon was with his wife and two brothers on his way to be sworn in at the New Milford Town Hall. This was 7.15 or so Friday morning when he saw a house on fire in Newtown, Connecticut. His wife calls 911. Eric Wilcoxon and his two brothers, then get out of the car. They go pound on the front door of the home. They got the attention of the homeowners inside. They're able to get them out to safety. There are also four dogs, again, inside the home that Wilcoxon and his siblings were able to get out as well. After the uh, fire department responded, He then headed off to his uh, swearing-in ceremony. Uh, New Milford Police Chief Spencer Ceruto, in a statement, said, I'm proud of the brave actions of New Milford Police Department Officer and his wife, and two brothers, one of which is a Wallingford police officer. Their immediate response in assisting the three residents out of the home clearly protected them from danger and potentially saved their lives. In addition, going back to save the dogs was admirable. Well, indeed it was. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Eric Wilcoxon, his brothers, his wife, we thank all of you for your very, very good deed. And uh, congratulations on joining the force there in a new Milford. Officer Will Coxon. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, don't forget, you can subscribe. Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. You'll also get other great shows. Brian Preston has a a new show on uh, Town Hall Media on YouTube. Uh, also on Rumble, Bearing Arms Cam and Company. You can find us there. We're up to more than 2,000 subscribers. So thank you for that very much. Uh, if you want the podcast version, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Townhall.com's podcast page, that should give you plenty of options. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. Thank you again for being a part of today's program. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.